Hello, and welcome to Better Betting. Here are your hosts, the King of Timonium, Gary Quill, and the ruler of the replays, Eric Rubin. Hey, and welcome to Better Betting. My name is Eric Rubin, and I'm here with my partner, the King of Timonium, Gary Quill. GQ, how be you? Doing great, Eric. Uh, the dog days of summer are amongst us. We uh, are now into July, and uh, on top of Pimlico, the big news, Pimlico on Sunday is going to make their million-plus pick six carryover a mandatory, so uh, everybody's going to be jacked for that. I, I know you were begging for PPs. Where it's where it's only Wednesday and you 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 want to dive into them, but uh, on top of that, one of your favorite horses, I believe, is running. Uh, maybe Saturday. Am I correct in saying that? Something like that. I think it's Thursday, not Wednesday, but that's all right. They blend together in the summer, so it's only two days ahead, three days ahead. But uh, yeah, we got the return, or not the return, but Mystic Guide will be running. My uh, my boyfriend from last year. Right. He, I think, received the first ever moral trophy, better betting moral victory trophy in the Jockey Club uh, Gold Cup when he ran, what would you say, about a thousand yards further than, uh, than Happy Saber, who hugged the rail and uh, won the, oh, lost the race, but was the best horse in that race. And he's actually against Happy Saber again. Happy Saber had his uh, prep race. It's not the most exciting race. It's the two of them. I think Mr. Guide has listed maybe four to five or even money and um, – Happy Sabres a tick above that, maybe six to five. And it appears on paper, a two-horse race. We'll see what happens. But, uh, yeah, Mystic Guide, very excited to see him. I'll actually be at Belmont. I have an exciting weekend of horses playing, going to Monmouth tomorrow. That's Friday. And I'll be at Belmont, so I'll get to see Mystic Guide in person. I'm not usually like a, a rah-rah fan. I'm more interested in who I bet than, you know, who the superstars are. But I'm kind of excited to see him, so it should be fun. Um, and then as you mentioned, Pimlico, uh, your neck in the woods on Sunday card looks decent. Did you, did you look at the races at all or the stakes, any big names running? No, I, I did not. I was, I was just looking, thinking, you know, it was like a ticket should be like Claudio, all Claudio, all Claudio, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we, we, can talk, we, we, we can throw, throw that in as a tease, but Hey, uh, this week, uh, we make our first trip to Delaware Park because they have a big card, a couple of uh, nice stakes races. And we were lucky enough to uh, grab a guest who Delaware Park is uh, pretty much his backyard, Mr. Mike Valiente. Mike, welcome to the program. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, our pleasure, Mike. I know you're, you're, you've become huge on Twitter you're very active. You're, uh, I think it's fair to say you won't get mad at me by saying you're an old timer as far as horse racing goes. You go back. Uh, you you uh, are a contributor to the racing biz, and you've done work in the past for PassTheWire.com. Yes, that's and, all correct. Uh, so t- tell us, tell us more about Mike Valiente and uh, the history that you have with horse racing. Well, I guess uh, how I got involved originally, I guess was really in the family lines. My father, grandfather on my father's side came over to this country in the early 1900s, uh, Nicholas Valiente, 
Italian barber, heavy accent, but he wanted to be American. He, he wanted to be American. So he did two things. He changed the last name to Lemon period, uh, for a short period of time, thinking that would huh. fool, fool people into thinking he was more of an American <laughs> uh, natural citizen than he was. And as soon as you met Nick Valiente, it was quite evident that his name was not Nick Lemon. Uh, but he started to follow horse racing and baseball because he saw that that's what Americans followed back then. They were the two of the big three sports with boxing being the third. Uh, and uh, in his barbershop in the back, he had a little book going. So uh, he was he was really into racing. And he taught my dad, his son, uh, about racing. And my dad taught three of the four sons, I'm being one of those, about the game. So that was sort of my initiation into the game. Wow. That's awesome. It, it, we, very, we have very similar paths because I'm a uh, fourth generation handicapper that uh, was handed down. But yeah, it, it, it almost sounds like in the old days, uh, it was uh, mandatory for every barbershop to have a book in the back. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how well he did with that, but I, I know he fooled with it. And um, uh, so just kind of a humorous antidote. Cool. So, so yeah, obviously, as you said, you, you know, from your grandfather and your father, you, you got the horse racing bug. Has it always been thoroughbreds or based on your Twitter handle, uh, it's at sad and Sulk, but uh, the long name in Saddles and Sulkies uh, kind of leads us to believe that uh, at some point in time, we're maybe still you're into the harness as well. No, no that is correct. In fact, I, I you know, I, I dabbled at Delaware Park briefly as a high school student. And then uh, when I started to get more serious about handicapping, one of my brothers used to go to Brandywine regularly. So I tagged along. And that was where I really started to be a handicapper was with the Sulkies. And I still bet them today. I, I would say my Betting is probably 70% thoroughbred, 30% sulkies. Um, as you know, they're much easier to handicap. So for a newcomer, that's uh, probably a good way to start. They're more consistent. Yeah, you get shorter prices, but they're more consistent. In fact, I can recall, I think I hit my first three bets. And I was saying, well, this is going to be an easy game. Uh, and so I was wrong right off the bat. Um, <laughs> but then as I began to be more of an experienced better, and, and you know, Delaware is such a small state, it was close to both facilities. Band to segue over to Delaware as much as I did Brandywine. And, and as I said, I do both, although predominantly thoroughbred. Right. Well, I, for, for those not familiar with the Delaware area, uh, Mike's uh, referring to Brandywine. It's kind of right outside Philly or is it actually in Philly? I know. Brandywine was right uh, northern Delaware, right near the Pennsylvania state line, uh, very close to the Concord Mall, if you're familiar with the Concord Mall. Um, oh, okay. And it was, a, you know, before the Meadowlands opening, the harness racing on the East Coast in the United States, the best harness racing on the East Coast was Brandywine. A Sunday night there back in the 60s and early 70s would have, you know, full house, 12,000 people, you know, Niatros ran there. I mean, the best horses ran there. And then once the Meadowlands opened, same story with racing, too many tracks, not enough horses, began to lose business, handle goes down, purses go down, vicious cycle began, and they did not hold out long enough to see the slots coming. If they had stayed along and the slot bill got passed in Delaware, Brandywine would still be with us today, but they folded about a year before the legislation passed. Um, wow. So it's just a fond, and I do have fond memories. Beautiful track, coat and tie in the clubhouse. Uh, wow. in, the in the summer, the windows would open up and you could eat basically outdoors. You were still covered, uh, you know, and fine dining. It was a very classy place at one time. Cool. Yeah, that's, uh, um, Pretty much history uh, as we go back, uh, going to the races, 
you know, you weren't roughing it. You got dressed up in your Sunday best to, to go check out the, the horses. And they, you know, it's not called the sport of Kings just because uh, you need a King's ransom in order to stay in the game. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I mean, share, share with our audience for those who aren't that familiar with Delaware park because it is your home track. I mean, how, can you can you do it justice by just explaining? I mean, I think it's everybody says, "Oh, Saratoga paddock's great." I think Delaware Park is second to none as far as the paddock goes. I agree. A little history there: the park was opened in 1937 as a charitable function by the Duponts, uh, who also conveniently then it gave them a place to race their horses. So it was a win-win for the Duponts. They was, could race their horses at the track but all the profitable proceeds went to charity. And the paddock was actually planned by Mr. William DuPont, who personally planted the trees, the oak trees that you see surrounding the walking ring. They're the same trees today that were planted by him in 1937 and just gorgeous wow. in the paddock, just gorgeous in the paddock. And I'm sure anybody who's been there would agree. And I try to occasionally show some pictures on Twitter from the paddock. So some people can check out my handle on Twitter and see. Um, you know, and again, Saratoga is a much bigger expanse. Obviously, Delaware is a smaller paddock, but it's just gorgeous. And then when you go to other East Coast tracks, and I hate to pick on some, but I'll pick on one, parks. Seems like a warehouse when you go to parks. When you go to Delaware Park, you think you're at a track. You think you're in an outdoor facility. You know, sizable picnic grounds. They allow you to bring a cooler in there. And you can stand on that first turn and just kind of half view the races and half picnic. And uh, it's a really pretty setting. Yeah, very, very fr family friend friendly and uh they uh make sure uh they, they bring in vendors who can uh you can get a decent uh something to eat and drink unlike uh some other tracks that are very close <laughs> to my heart i saw your pitch for food trucks uh, and i guess someone from pimpico even answered you or from the maryland uh, horse racing association answered you um and and again that's you know that's just another example and i don't want to get into a you know a lament but another example of the million things that racing does do wrong and it's a small thing um but when you can't handle the small things when you can't ha handle the commonsensical small things i always worry uh, how's the business handling the hard complex issues when they can't handle right i think the last time when i did meet you down at pimco or met you at pimco there was one concession stand open that day and it was open periodically. Uh, you know, yes. I, I don't know who, who runs the business and say, well, we'll feed people on, on, the, on the interval. It just, I, and I don't know, somebody didn't show up. I, I, I don't know what caused that, that today, but I've never gone to a restaurant that says, hey, we don't have food. Um, just it doesn't happen. So it, 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 it's almost like they, they, it, it's a bother for, for having people there. It's like they, they you know, there, people are coming out, even though there's zero advertisement to say, hey, Pimlico is open, you know, C city of Baltimore, there's plenty of uh, fans who would love to come out, spend an afternoon there, other than, you know, but I guess, uh, hey, you know, it used to be a 12-day meet, that's all it's supposed to be, and, you know, uh, let, let's uh, just uh, do what we have to do not do too much and just uh, get out of here when uh, Laurel gets back. But uh, I didn't want to turn this into a uh, uh, complaint session. But yeah, to, speaking of, uh, yeah, the one, I don't think it was the day I, I saw you out there, Mike, maybe it was the week before. 
I went back. I'm like, oh, they got pretzels. I'm going to go back and get a pretzel later. And that, you know, between the third and fourth race, I go back and they're out of pretzels. It's like, <laughs> really? Are you serious? So, yeah. Uh, so let's we'll we'll leave that uh, for another day. Uh, but uh, anyway, Mike. So uh, I always like to ask our guests about uh, their handicapping uh, prowess or had over the years uh has your handicapping style as far as you know what uh what you look at or if there's any specific angles or or how how do you go about handicapping a, a race or say if you you know you, you can share with us your favorite wager and that might uh help help us understand your your betting uh approach well, it's a good question, and I've been betting since the 70s, and I would say if you ask me that question every five or six years, my answer would differ. Uh, I think the answer gets driven by a couple things, the time I have to invest in handicapping and the capital I have to invest in handicapping. So uh, there are times when I would pick up the form and try to cover every track in it, not every race, but every track in it, uh, find the nuggets and that might lead on a Saturday to 20 or 30 bets across seven tracks. There are times when I've just isolated on one track and studied it for four to five hours just to say I did the best I could on this and I don't want to have the distraction of the other tracks. There's times I did something in between those two. There are times when I bet amounts that were, you know, probably uh, a little too high, but, you know, and there's times when I started when I was strictly a $2 better, but currently I'm retired. So for the last year and a half, I've tried to be very disciplined uh, and look for a, a race. I either have a strong opinion on a horse or a strong dislike on a favorite, and then take that race and play a double exacto or pick three with that being the key race. Uh, I don't do a lot of pick fives in the retirement stage because sometimes they can get pricey. Um, right. I don't do a lot of tries and super, and I still will do some of them. Um, because one of my angles, I will say this, since you asked for angles, and this one I know has been profitable in my life. I mean, horses are pack animals, and you've seen them before. There are horses that are habitual hangers, and they love to come in second, third, and fourth more than they do first. And I will often take that and put that as the bottom part of an exacto, or the third part of a trifecta, or the fourth part of a superfecta, key the hanger, and then put five or six horses around it. And you know, I mean, it's unpredictable sometimes. So in that five or six, I'm not just going to take the top five lowest odds. I might put a long shot in there. And when you get one of those to clunk up in a position or hopefully even win and the hanger hangs and comes a third or fourth, I've had some huge returns on, on that. And that is one angle I'll still do today. But as I said, currently retired, not a $2 better, but not a big better anymore. And I'm, I'm very disciplined. And even I know you want an opinion on the pick five and the pick four on Saturday. I'm going to say here, I'm not playing either one of those because I think there's enough short prices in there that any unrealistic combinations to make sure you hit it, which is just a stupid betting strategy, uh, isn't even gonna be a good return. I have some opinions about some of the individual races and I'll venture an opinion on the pick four or pick five. But if anybody is listening, uh, I'm not, you know, full disclosure, I'm not playing that because I, I need something that's gonna provide a good return or uh, provide a solid chance with a, with a limited ticket. Right, and and that's, that's a, a while there in that, you recognize that uh, you're seeking value, and instead of forcing, saying, oh, I, you know, this the, the chalk looks tough in here, instead of forcing the issue, 
say, save your strong opinions where you feel that there is value and then just attack it in that vein. And yeah, I, I can't blame you. It's hard. It's hard for retirees to be able to spread these pick five and pick six tickets like everybody else. But uh, hey, maybe there's a, a group of fellow retirees uh, that you can uh, hook up with, and uh, there's a lot of uh, group betting going on there. But uh, so, Mike, uh, tell us uh, what what is probably. Uh, the, the one thing, you know, horse racing's had, had a hard time over the past few decades of just attracting fans. Uh, we, we touched on one track's inability to even embrace the fans that, that do come out. But uh, in order to uh, make sure that, uh, beyond, you know, retirees and, and close to retirees like myself, uh, can enjoy thoroughbred racing or even uh, 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 harness racing. Is there anything that that you feel can be done to attract uh, a, a younger audience? Well, it's I'll be frank. It's a heavy lift, um, especially with and I don't want to sound like uh, the old guy shaking his fist, but especially <laughs> with especially with the youth today, a shorter of attention span. Uh, they're you know it's going to be tough to take someone and have teach them how to pour through a form and then um, and hope that they like it and hope to nurse them along. I mean, if you just got thrown in at a track and somebody throws a form on the table, mm. I, I don't know what you would even do with it. So it's going to be a challenge. So I'll preface with, I have some ideas. I don't know if they'll be successful, but I do know this, the current status quo is, it has to change. And if, if it isn't, it'll just collapse. So if for somebody to say, oh, listen to that guy's got three ideas, they won't work. Okay, fair enough. But then come up with some others because just staying on the path we are is not going to work. And I see it occasionally. And again, I don't want to pick on people. Somebody on Twitter will say, hey, horse racing is not dead. And they show a big crowd on a Saturday night at Churchill. Okay, sure. I mean, you can still get people to come Saturday night at Churchill. That's easy to do. But I think if you take a look from 1990 to last year, the handle has decreased. The overall handle has decreased by 50%. The full crowd size is dramatically plummeted. If anybody could just look at those stats and think that's just going to be able to continue and you're going to be fine, you're naive and fooling yourself. So if I was marketing director of a track, I would first spend the initial marketing dollars. First of all, I'd have some marketing. That There's a novel idea to your point. <laughs> I mean, that, What a know, novel that, idea. Yeah. And I would spend my first marketing dollar on the person and, and group most likely to come to the track and bat. And that would be your existing customers. It's easier to retain customers than to get new customers. And then I'd spend my second dollar on somebody who's uh, a gambler and maybe a gambler already at your facility because they're coming into your sports book or they're into your casino. That's, it, even that's going to be a hard, hard cross sell. But that's easier than just taking Joe, you know, Joe Schmo out on the street who's never played and drawing him in the track by having camel races or whatever the heck you think is going mean, to have people come in on a Saturday night and call that marketing. Uh, and then you keep on going down the line. The, the third one is spending marketing dollars on people most likely to be a better. There's a demographic that the person's better. I hate to sound chauvinistic, more likely to be a male than a female, more likely to be a little older than younger. And then you can go over the, the fourth group, the novices who you might draw in. And I, I chuckled about the camel racing, but you might draw in with a band or beer or food trucks or something, something exciting to get a Saturday crowd or a Saturday afternoon crowd to walk in and stare at the races and be engaged. And then make sure you have some handholding for that group and even if you could get two or 3% of them to come back, that would be an incredible achievement. 
very hard to do, may not even be doable, but most tracks don't even try. So that that's from a marketing perspective. From a more global management perspective, I'll say, look, the individual fiefdoms in the game are just killing it. The, the states and the tracks have no incentive to cooperate with each other, so they don't. Uh, they get sponsored by casino money or state subsidies, so the marketplace signals get ignored. Um, and that's just going to spell depth of the game. You can only hold back reality for so long. So, um, you know, if there was some way to get someone smart, to get some people to cooperate across state lines, and that's going to mean closing some tracks, then gosh forbid we ever close a track. I'll, I'll take West Virginia. Is there, is there really any reason for Mountaineer to be running to me? Doesn't it just draw away from Charlestown's force and doesn't present a very poor product? And yeah. so I'm sure for the people who work at Mountaineer and the small stables there and whatever, when that goes away, someone will write a story and say, hey, somebody lost their job. And I hate to say, I hate to, I'm not going to be dismissive and say, so be it. But that happens all the time in real businesses. The weak companies go out of business and the strong companies right. survive. And so, mm -hmm. but in our industry, you know, Mountaineer's got the casino, so they don't need to make any changes, make their product changer. And, and you know, those employees will still have a job. And so it's easier to do the easy thing and do nothing and just continue. So, you know, you need to try to break away those fiefdoms and I don't, again, don't even know if that can be done. And then lastly, all intentions, all attention should be to the betters and the owners and everything else will fall in place. That doesn't mean you're going to ignore horse safety or ignore jockeys or ignore trainers. If you had betters coming in there and owners willing to put horses on the track, the handle will go up and the whole industry will be healthy and everyone would share into that, that, that growth. Um, but that's where attention needs to be. I chuckle when I hear somebody say, wow, it's not the betters that are important. It's just the owners. Uh, okay. <laughs> if, if there were no betters, it would be like polo where the guys would be getting on the weekends who could afford to have horses and they would race their horses for ribbons and plates. You need the betters. And for someone to look down on the betters or dirty betting or whatever you want to say, or uh, that's just ridiculous and naive. So um, those are three things I would say. Well, very, very well said. And, and at, like you touched on, you know, the, the horse population continues to dwindle. So it, you can't continue to have all these tracks all over the country. And, and even the ones that are healthy, you know, they, they can't be running year round. Right. There, there's got, there's gotta be a break in there, but you know, it's, you know, it's the uh, egos of the, the big uh, conglomerate, bigger tracks, and they're, they're going to do whatever they can to, you know, uh, survive. And like you said, it, it happens every day in different businesses. It's the survival of the fittest. And yeah, it's going to be a shame to see other smaller tracks uh, close. But unfortunately, I think that's the reality. So Right. Uh, no, I th thanks a lot for sharing that, that opinion with us, Mike. And um, I'm going to allow my partner, Eric, to jump in if he has any particular questions for you, Mike. It's, it's great catching up with you. It was great to finally meet you. That's the one thing about you form, you almost form these relationships on Twitter with a lot of people who like and comment on posts and vice versa. And uh, I, I, Thank you very much for uh, recognizing me and, and coming over and, and introducing yourself because I'm I'm an oblivious type of person. So uh, <laughs> I, I feel like I found a new friend in you and uh, hopefully uh, we'll, we'll see one another many more times at the track. So 
without further ado, I'll let Eric uh, chime in. Mike, I didn't know you before we spoke a little before the show, but you must be a real nice guy because most people recognize GQ and they run the other way. So <laughs> for you to go up to him, that's, that's really nice. <laughs> I forgot to tell you he owed me some money. so I, oh, I had to that, makes <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. All right. <laughs> I was a little worried about you, but all right. Now you're good. Um, couple questions just real quick. And we're we're going to get into handicapping some of this uh, Delaware card. It's their big day on Saturday. Uh, but some Delaware-specific questions. First of all, I, I heard you mention about, you know, the beautiful paddock and all. And I, I went to Delaware last year for the first time. For people who might want to go to Delaware, and, and for me too, the next time I go, where would you recommend, like, hanging out? How, how do you spend your day there? Is there a spot that's kind of a, a good spot? Yeah, for me, I actually have a, a standing reservation at the Terrace Dining Room. It's in the clubhouse on the third floor with the huge glass windows, basically overlooking the finish line. You're a little farther down the stretch than the finish line. And other than the big days, it's never crowded in there. Uh, it's air conditioned. And then I then I spend that as my home base, but then I walk around a lot. I go down to the paddock uh, and, and with my Twitter account, I'm constantly taking pictures. A lot of the jockeys know me, um, but my home base is the Terrace Dining Room and I would recommend it. The menu's fine. It's not you know super expensive or super cheap. It's somewhere in between, but you get a great view of the track and you're under the air and then you can go downstairs and get on the apron or to the right and get to the paddock. So it works for me. Nice. And, and it really is a beautiful track. Uh, we hung out uh, some beach chairs, kind of where you're talking about on the on the first turn there and uh, right near the paddock. My only problem is I'm not the tallest guy and those bushes at the paddock are very tall. So it's not <laughs> easy to see. I, I want to be able to sit and look, but you can't sit and look. They got to cut them lower. Otherwise, everything's perfect. <laughs> Yeah, that is true. And sometimes when I am taking pictures, uh, I will actually sit on one of the stand on one of the picnic tables. If I'm getting <laughs> the jockeys as they're coming right out to the track, that that lane that leads to the right. track, because the hedges are quite tall there, but it, I get some good shots there. Yeah, but like I said, it is a, a real beautiful paddock. And, and then just the last thing, I know you, you follow Delaware a lot. I mean, you're following as close as anyone. Uh, you have a handicapper's notebook, I believe I saw online at the Racing Biz. Do you have any tips for people who might play Delaware this weekend, but are not used to playing Delaware Park. Is it, does the track play a certain way? Is uh, like a horse for the course, having a race over the track important? Any tips like that for the listeners? Well, that's a great question. Usually the track plays very fair. Historically, it plays very fair. And when there's a bias, it's usually short-lived. However, and it comes with the usual caveats. I had to leave early today because of this interview. Uh, so I can't speak to all the races today. So and I, I'll look at them later. But up until today, um, having the lead at the first quarter on the dirt has been incredibly hard uh, to go from there and be a winner. I think I put in the notebook this week and I'm, I'm going off a of memory here, so it could be off by a number or two. I think out of the last 27 dirt races, there were two winners who had the lead at the first quarter. And to me, that's a trend. That's a pattern. And one of them was uh, favored in a three horse field. And the other one just was a very nice horse. Um, so that may change. You know, it's raining now. The quality of horses will be a little better this weekend. But I would advise anybody who hasn't seen the track, watch the first few races on dirt. And if that continues to be a pattern, try to take advantage of that. People are coming from way behind typically, but they don't have that lead. And, uh, and again, that's not been true where a bias has held that long at Delaware. But right now, as of today, that would be true. All right, great info. And, and the last thing I kind of mentioned the last question, but when I used to bet Delaware, and I'm a, a part-time Delaware better, I'll admit, uh, I, I felt like the track was a little quirky where horses who had success there were 
uh, I'm trying to think of the word, but having success there in the past was something important. A horse trying the track for the first time or a horse that didn't run there once well. I often thought, maybe wrongly, that those were not great bets coming back. Uh, do you find that or am I way off on that? Because I'll admit, yeah. I don't watch it that closely. No, I think I think you're pretty spot on. I think that that historically has been very true. Uh, a couple, again, always have asterisks and, and exceptions. Um, you see horses who come in from Oaklawn and Parks who are a little bit better. They don't seem to have trouble with the track. They, they seem to win. <laughs> but there have been times where a trip over the track definitely has been beneficial. And in the old days when there was really a prep for both the Oaks and the Delaware Handicap, many times the winner of the ultimate race did run around and maybe not win had to get that prep and experience. So it can be a little bit of a funny track. And Songbird claimed that that was one reason, she, the owner claimed that was one reason she didn't do as well. She still won the handicap, but just barely over a very mediocre fi uh, field. And uh, Mr. Porter said, yeah, definitely needed to get used to that. I think Mike Smith said the same thing. So now I would agree with you that the track can be a little quirky, um, but if you are a good horse, you, you can overcome it. Sure. All right, so we're, we're going to handicap a bunch of races with Mike. Uh, we're we're going to cover a pick five sequence. It also includes a pick four sequence. It's an all-stakes pick four. Kind of weird because the pick five doesn't include the Delaware Oaks, I don't think. So um, betting menu is a little interesting, but that has a big favorite. Maybe it's better that it doesn't. Uh, so we are going to start in a moment with race three, which is an allowance race. And we're going to take a quick break and be right back after that. All right, so we're going to get started. Uh, it, we're actually going to get started Delaware race three on Saturday. It begins the pick five. This is an allowance race, which has a lot of little conditions, but basically it's a one other than the way I see it. So an allowance, like a one X. It's five furlongs on the turf, but um, Mike GQ and I were, were talking earlier, and um, there's a good chance that it can come off the turf. Uh, rain, I think 50% in the forecast, but it's been raining today, as Mike said. And... I find, Mike, you can defend Delaware if you want, but I find if someone spills a cup of water on the track on a Tuesday, they're off the turf for two weeks, it seems. Is there like terrible drainage there or um, do you expect them to come off the turf? Yeah, I, I can't defend them. Uh, your statement <laughs> is exactly correct. Uh, I think there are a couple things going on. Um, they don't seem to do a good job maintaining the course. If you're there after the races are done on a nice day, the sprinkler system comes on. The sprinkler system covers about 15% of the track. And I, again... It's not Santa Anita, so maybe they don't have the hugest budget in the world, but you know, over the period of 50 years, maybe somebody could have thought, hey, we need to water the grass better. So uh, on dry times, it gets torn up pretty good. So they're, they're, they're trying to keep it from getting torn up. Uh, when it does rain, it doesn't seem to drain well. And then the far turn, leading into the far turn, seems to be particularly problematic for them. And I don't know if you guys remember, I think it was September of 2017 or 18 or I think it was September of 2018 or 19. Um, there was a seven horse field. Uh, Victor Carrasco's horse fell on the far turn. Four of the other horses fell over him. So two horses finished the seven horse race. Hmm. And I think that made them extra careful about that particular part of the course being bad and dangerous. And so in their defense, they don't want horses falling and jockeys falling. So they err on the side of caution. Uh, but yeah, other than Laurel's turf record of keeping races on the turf last fall, um, Delaware would be second to none in challenging keeping races on the turf. 
Yeah, if you didn't bring that up, I was going to mention it's a, a race between Laurel and Delaware who can take the turf races off quicker. Seems like there's yeah. a contest between the two of them. Yeah, uh, the, the, don't get me started with Laurel's world-class turf course. Give me a uh, correct. And again, simple math. You know the handle is much bigger on an average turf race. And so yeah. could somebody, somebody sit down and do the pencil math and say, look, this is our take. Increase the take on turf races. If we could put 50 more of them on, we'd make X more dollars. Let's get a good sprinkler system or let's get somebody who knows how to maintain a track or let's make sure the drainage is right. Uh, that's what a real business would do. No lie. A few years ago, it like hadn't rained in two weeks. And then all of a sudden, like the first race day of the week, they're off the turf and everybody's there like, what? What happened? And I got some inside information that Somebody left the sprinkler on for like two days straight. It's like, <laughs> how is this a manual operation? <laughs> so again, it goes back to our, you know, they can't get out of their own way. But uh, so I, I digress. Allow me a chance to throw one more story in because it, it, okay. it <laughs> uh, I think it's in one of Andy Byers' books. Some big time handicapper had done the pick six. He was live in the first five and he said, I've got the last one on turf. I got the two winners here. It's one of these two. And it turns out he didn't have it. And he's like, huh, I can't believe that horse lost on the turf. Well, the sprinkler system actually went off after the fifth race of the pick six. And they took the race off the turf <laughs> because the turf had gotten too wet and he, he probably lost you know, a $200,000 pick six, uh, assuming his original understanding that one of those tour horses was a lock. But uh, again, I digress. Yeah. It, it, some, of the, some of the stories we get from our horse racing experiences is, is, is book worthy in itself. And, I, and, and years ago, I started keeping track of strange stuff that just happened to me. And I'm thinking, you know, uh, Rush, uh, who, not Rush Limbaugh. Um, there was another guy. Uh, gosh, I forget, Tim Russert. He had he had a book where it was like things my father said or things my father. And all it was was people who wrote to him with quotes. And I was going. I swear, maybe in my retirement days, I'll have more time to just real life racetrack bad beats great wins or whatever stories and yes. just a book filled of them and every, and every horse player will be able to relate to them all. yes all right sorry for that digression but it was interesting stuff for both right. of you. So i'm sure I'm, I'm sure by the time i get around to doing that book eric will have a few chapters for me so Absolutely. I have plenty, uh, including, I was telling Mike before, I, I won't go through, but my non-bet $90 that paid $8,300 that I'm sitting next to the people. I showed them the bet and then I showed them I canceled it. Anyway, all right. So Delaware Park race three, we're, we're going to do you a service here. We're going to try and go quickly through the race because we have a lot to do. But because it may come off the turf, we'll briefly cover, at least I will. I think Mike might be able to, although uh, I don't want to put him on the spot, uh, but, but I'll be able to help you with turf and dirt. Um, quick analysis of the races in case they do come off. So the first race we said that we're covering is race three, an allowance, first level, five furlongs on the turf. If it stays on the turf and the field stays as it is, to me, it seems like there's a lot of speed in this race. Uh, pretty much the entire outside are speed horses. So I wonder if that sets it up for a closer that I particularly like here. Uh, Mike, I'll let you start. Now, I just want to get this right. Did you say you handicap for the turf and or the dirt? I, I tried to. I certainly okay. tried to do that. And, you know, maybe one of them got a short shrift. But uh, okay. in this race, if it stays on the turf, and again, I doubt it will, 
Um, my pick was Woodbine Way. I thought the effort on April 30th made her more than competitive here. Although I will say, if she does decide to stay on when it when it comes off the turf, um, a sloppy track might might help her too. So I wouldn't take her as a throwout if it does come off the turf. Um, my second turf pick is Doc Girl, Doc Girl the Eight. She worked well for her three-year-old debut. Uh, if you take a look as a two-year-old, she ran a buyer of a 70 in her career debut, and she's older, more mature. I'm sure she can improve off that buyer, uh, especially with the good workouts. Um, so if it stays on the turf, and in addition, her second start last year, she had all sorts of trouble. You can just throw that race out. So she's going to be a big threat if it stays on the turf. I think if it comes off the turf, they'll just scratch her. Unlike Woodbine Way, who may stay in the race, I think Doc Girl will come out. Um, so if it does go to dirt, then you have to consider, I thought, the three hitch a ride, the main track only, as well as Beautiful Grace, I thought could be a factor on the main track. So on the main track, Woodbine Way, Beautiful Grace, and hitch a ride. On the turf, Woodbine Way, Doc Girl. All right. And for me, if it stays on the turf, I actually like the one awesome jazz. I'm a little concerned that five furlongs might be short, but she's won at the distance before. Uh, she's probably in the best form of her life, even though she's only had one race in the last uh, six, seven months. Uh, but there's a horse who ran really, really well, rebacked October 23rd, uh, basically stood in the gate, which is a bit of an issue for her, but it was never that bad, where she stood in for a good one and a half seconds, spotted the field a few lengths. Uh, the race probably favored speed also, and, and and she still closed like a monster there. So that was a terrific race. Then it was on the dirt, which I would exclude her on the dirt, ran horribly, but she's not a dirt horse. And then uh, came back off the layoff, five furlongs. I figured, ah, probably too short. She again got off to a slightly slow start. Wasn't as bad as, as the race before I mentioned. Uh, and she still closed uh, great. It wasn't like a race that fell apart or anything, and, and she closed really well. So I think she gets the speed to close into here if the race stays on the, uh, on the turf. And my second choice for the turf is a bit of a price. That's the five bound for Broadway. Uh, There's a horse who got cut off a little bit at the start last race uh, against uh, optional claimer starter allowance. Uh, did did theme, uh, save ground and was a little about out finished. So it wasn't like a great performance, but with the bad start, it wasn't terrible. And I just feel that horse has a lot of upside. It's going to be uh, her second start. Well, technically her, Third start is a three-year-old, but second after a layoff, and as a four-year-old, uh, and she can be an improving horse. So um, that would be my other choice on the on the turf, the one-five. Just real quick on the dirt, uh, I think similar to you. Beautiful Grace is going to be tough. She ran a pretty good race uh, two back at a similar level, albeit against only three-year-olds. Uh, last race was in a little tough against Street Loot, and um, you know I, I can excuse that performance. It wasn't awful considering. So uh, she looks tough. And then Hitch a Ride, I just don't think you'll get 8-1. to one. I don't know if you guys want to opine on that. Um, I know it's hard to make morning lines for me and track only, but I got to assume the three is going to be 3-1. to one or I mean, it depends who scratches, but assuming there's not a ton of scratches, 3-1 to one, if not shorter with scratches. There's a horse who, uh, when she broke her maiden, she um, dueled a 4-1 to one shot who kind of faded uh, back to fourth, but, but pretty significantly back. So um, I, I thought that was a really good race. Uh, last race, she was 38 to one. So it tells me what kind of chance she had in the race and she still closed for third. So uh, in this field, a lot softer, I, I think she would be my top pick on the, on the dirt, but three, seven on the dirt. Uh, GQ, I, I know you uh, did not handicap too much. You said, I just don't want to exclude you if you want to jump in at all. So feel free. No, you guys are good uh, for at least the, the, this race and the next race, because, I screwed up on my assumption of where the pick five would start. So as usual, I have no opinion, which, hey, I can't lose, right? 
<laughs> there you go. And Mike, one thing we try and talk about, uh, we don't have to do it every race, but if there is a race that you're going to bet vertically, uh, like whether you, you mentioned you bet exactas or, or whatever it is, uh, or even doubles, pick threes, if, if there, we come into a race that fits that characteristic, if this is one of them, if you don't mind just sharing like what your thoughts are, because we try and help people with the betting process as much as a handicapping process. Sure, sure. All right. Uh, was there anything you want to add on this race or if you were going to bet this race, do you think? No, I will say this. This race was an excellent example of why there are betting windows. And I'm sure you're a very good handicapper. I like to think I'm a good handicapper. Um, I had issues with Awesome Jazz, one for 18. But I agree, uh, shows a lot of heart, has decent numbers. So that, you know, I, I, I can't give seven horses in each race. But that horse definitely has a shot. But somewhere in my mind, I had to exclude him. You didn't. And I'm not saying I'm right, you're wrong. I'm just saying just the opposite. Two minds came together and and came up with a you know, quite different perspective on that horse. Yeah, it's funny because I'm going to try and beat the the nine who you like, who I know can win, but I just felt had a little bit of an easy lead to dress up her her figure at um at Tampa that seven five for a long race. But I mean, if she runs anything like that, she should win this race. So I can definitely see her winning. But if I can find something I don't like about a short price, I. I you know, try and beat that horse. So if I bet vertically here, I would actually exclude that horse. And I know she can win. She's not a bad pick at all. But, uh, and if you like her uh, or anyone, go for her. Don't let me talk anyone off it. But if I was betting vertically here, which I might, uh, if it stays on the turf, uh, I would bet, the, I would key the one on top probably, maybe first and second, uh, and try and get the five in there. So I bet one five, and then I'd use a seven, eight as my other horses mostly. Uh, but I would need the one in five to come in first and or second or first and third, kind of team them together. Um, with the seven or eight in there as well. Gotcha. Well, that's actually a good segue into the next race. Uh, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, sure. Because on this one, I'm, I am going to try to beat the favorite here. Look, Meru bits and the best race would beat these. But I'm going to take a stand against it. And, and if I bet vertically here, I'm going to exclude it entirely. Um, it's going to be an underlay, especially with Smith riding. Uh, it's a fragile sort. You can tell by the race, the breaks between races. It's a fragile sort. So um, it may not be even totally cranked up. But I thought this race was more competitive than it might look at first glance. And I actually will go three and maybe four wide in my horizontals here. Um, I like easy day at a price. Um, the last two efforts were really sharp. Morning line six to one seems fair. And I actually think it'll go off higher. And I think it has room to improve. I like charge to victory, the five. I think if you excuse, excuse the last, and which had all sorts of trouble, the, the figures seem to show that it fits. I like redeem Eddie, although I think that would be if the track is dry and I'm not sure it's going to be. The layoff might be a concern, but the, you know, there's local connections and they're running them, so they know more than me. And even Cucina, I think you can make an argument improving second time off layoff. So in my horizontals in this race, I'll leave the one out and I'll play either the four, five, six, seven, or three of those four. All right, this is, we, we were thinking of just covering the late pick four. One of the reasons why I wanted to do more races is because of this race. Um, I'm with you, I'm against Maru here, not that Maru can't win, uh, but I have a horse, and it's one you mentioned, who I really, really like here. And I don't know if I'm going to get the morning line, but if I do, this will be my, my bet of the day, if you will. And probably 80 to 90% of my bankroll will be bet on this horse. It'll be a single in the pick five. And that's Cochina the seven. Uh, this is a horse who November 27th at Aqueduct ran an excellent race. First of all, he was running against Pete's play call Chateau, who I think is running Sunday at Pimlico in a stakes race. 
those and secret rules, but those are horses who perennially, if that's the right word, or every time they run, perennially is once a year, I think, but uh, every time they're, they're, they're in the nineties buyers. I mean, these are very good horses, much better than what he's facing today. And that race, November 27th, I mean, he probably would have won that race without the trouble. It, it would have been very close and he would have got like a 90 something buyer. He was a three-year-old. So it's not like, you know, a six-year-old who had one crazy good race and, you know, it's an aberration. Right. Then had some time off taken away from Mott. I, I mean, I don't know if you know anything, but I have no idea why, uh, you know, that happened. I don't know if it's a new owner or not. And he came back and I'd be a little concerned that he was only five to two in the race because that seemed kind of cold on the board. Because look, he ran against Arcadia Calls eight horse, and if you just quickly glance at Arcadia Calls PPs, this is a horse who, yeah, in the past had gotten like an 80, 90 buyer, but hadn't done anything like that recently. It was five to one in the race, so I don't know why Cucina was only five to two. Uh, I know where Paradise Lay ran on uh, the Pimlico Preakness undercard. Uh, I guess it was a decent horse, but anyway, long-winded way of saying I think he needed that last race. First of all, he had a four-wide trip Cucina last race. And maybe he needed a race over this track too. We talked about that. And I think he just got tired. He took the lead or, or there, I think he actually got the lead uh, in the mid stretch or top of the stretch and then just got a little tired. So I think he just needed that race and wide trip anyway. So you can argue he was, he was better than the top two because he ran a lot more ground than them. So anyway, I, I really like Kachina in this spot. I think there's some speed to set it up for him. So I'm only using Kachina and because the other horses I would use are the favorites, the one in six, I'm not even going to use them because I don't like using short prices if I don't love them or I love someone else. So I'm just all over the seven. If he's six to one, it'll be win bets. It'll be doubles. It'll be pick threes. It'll be singled in the pick five. And that's how I'll approach this race. Did you want to add anything else there, uh, Mike? I'm doing a lot of talking. I apologize. No, no, I agree. As I said, I, that's one of the ones I'm going to include. I'm not as solid on him as you, but he definitely has room to improve off of the first time, you know, second time off the layoff. He's got back buyers that are good. I like Suarez as a jockey. He's been a little bit cold this year. I just think the jockey economy is a little tougher. Um, Stidham is using them, and I like Stidham. And again, last thing, this for complete newcomers. I mean, this horse has a lot of back class. He ran in the Sanford. He ran in a grade one in Canada. You know, So at one time, this horse was better meant than even today. So all of that factors, and I definitely think he's got a big chance. Yeah, and, and Stidham is um, – I, I don't know if he's won the last couple of days because I printed these earlier – uh, or I guess just today because yesterday they canceled. Um, I, I don't know if it includes earlier in the week the uh, the results. But he's two for twenty only Stidham, and he's obviously a very successful trainer. But he's had second seven seconds and four thirds, so yeah. he's been right there. And and the good thing about that for him, I guess, is horses are keeping their conditions, and this would be one of them who's eligible for this condition. Yeah, he's a good trainer, so I, I wouldn't let any twenty two for twenty stretch scare me off of him. He's got years of proven training ability. I, that's another chuckle. I, I always laugh when they got the who's hot trainer stat <laughs> in the form or at the track, you know, Michael Stidham uh, uh, is cold recently. Well, what does that mean? Uh, I mean, he's a good trainer. And so, yeah, this, this horse has a chance, a big chance. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping so. Uh, all right. So we're going to move on. If GQ doesn't jump in to race five, that was race four. We just concluded race five, the Christiana, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, $75,000, First, a mile on the 16th, hopefully on the turf. We'll quickly cover turf and dirt. Uh, Mike, I'll let you uh, start this race off. I guess uh, the morning line favorite is the four. Do you like Mia Martina? And uh, if so, why? And then who else are you contemplating here? Well, certainly if the race stays on the turf, Mia Martina would be one of my picks, along with the six, Caldi, and the nine out of sorts. Um, I will say this. 
Caldy, I'll put a qualifier on. Only if the ground is firm, uh, which I doubt that's to be true. So that that's always a maybe, a very maybe on the turf. But the four and the nine on the turf, I do like. I will say this. The tricky part of this race for me was before I even could decide who to bet, you had to answer the following questions about the five Orbs baby girl. First of all, it's cross-centered in the Oaks and in this race. So I don't know what the trainer's going to do. Uh, I don't know whether it'll still be on the turf. If it's off the turf, I don't know if the main track will be really muddy or not, or just a little wet or not wet at all. But my here's my big prediction. I think Orbs baby girl will go in this race because it will come off the turf. And I think the track will have enough water in it that uh, an off-track uh, condition will really favor Orbs baby girl. So that, assuming it comes off the turf and assuming the dirt is wet and assuming the trainer does enter Orbs baby girl here, that's really my pick because uh, I think those three things will happen. And Malibu beauty will uh, be a factor on the main track. So on the main track, the five and the seven, on the turf, the four and the nine, and a weak bet on the six. But uh, So that's how I split this race. All right, I have to I have to check real quickly. I think Malibu Malibu Beauty ran today. I don't think she was scratched. I'm trying to check maybe GQ or I can get it quickly if you guys don't mind uh, me being unprofessional here. Race yeah. five today. Malibu Beauty, did she? Oh, uh, I'm at the wrong track. So no, was it race five today? Race six. No wonder I can't find her. Sorry. Okay. Oh, she came in second, so she ran today. So she won't be running on uh, Saturday. Okay. Uh, it's one less one less equation then. So again, if it goes yes. on the main track and Orbs Baby Girl is entered and the main track is wet, that's my pick if it stays on the turf. The four and the nine I like a lot, the six a little bit. All right, so um, for me, we're actually uh, on the turf. We're very similar. I don't know if that's good or bad. Maybe it's a little too chalky for, for us. But um, I, I would say Caldy would be a potential single for me. I just think this horse is heading in the right direction. Uh, I like to races and I think uh, is ready for the step up. You mentioned though, if the if it's on the turf, there's probably going to be some give in the ground and her one poor turf race was on soft ground. Yeah. The only caveat I would say is a, that was against very tough competition. That was a stakes race. Although she ran the grade two before that ran fine. And secondly, October 31st and November 1st at uh, Belmont that weekend, that was probably the softest turf course in the history of Belmont Park or maybe any North American racetrack. I'm not exaggerating. It rained for about 72 hours straight or more, <laughs> heavy downpour. And I think that was the closing weekend, so they almost didn't care about the turf course at that point. They were just going to use it up. So um, it was like – it could be soft to Delaware on, uh, on Saturday if they were to stay on somehow. I don't think it will be anywhere near that soft, but it does scare me because I would actually single call the potentially – but if it's not, um, if it's softer, you know, off turf, not off turf, but, you know, if it's not firm turf, which it doesn't appear to be, that would scare me a little. And unfortunately, I'm a little chalky here uh, with the four, me and Martina also, who, uh, you know, ran pretty well, saving ground, uh, had a very good trip last time, but then got into traffic in the stretch. I don't know, uh, you know, how much the traffic hurt or not, but she ran pretty well and I think would have. I don't know, one, but would have been right there without the trouble. So she definitely uh, fits here. And the nine you mentioned, so I won't talk much about, but out of sorts also. Third off a layoff, has a chance to improve and has run good races. And then on the dirt, uh, I'm going to be a little – so we're similar on the turf. On the dirt, I'm a little different. I'm actually going to try and beat the five that comes off the turf. I just felt this horse had an easy lead on the slop 
last time. And usually those are words I play against. Doesn't mean she can't win or won't win. I also don't think there's any chance. Again, I, I don't know what they think with the morning line here. I don't want to bash it. It's not easy to do. And it's main track only. But I don't see how this horse is 12 to 1. Uh, yeah. if this, you know, if it's on the turf, the horse would be 12 to 1. I don't know if they did the hand, you know, the morning line for the turf. But, you know, that's going to be either the favorite or whole favorite on the dirt. Uh, especially with the seven being scratched. So I- I'm going to try and beat that horse to short price on the dirt with either the two or the nine uh, out of sorts who ran really well. I thought against some tough horses in Maryland street boot. I love fraudulent charge. She's one of my, uh, my girlfriend horses there that I love. So uh, she was very competitive against those. Seems like the stretch out on the turf helps. So I think she will stretch out on the dirt. Well, uh, and the two hybrid eclipse for Linda rice, who's also cross entered uh, in the, uh, in the Oaks, assuming I don't know what she's going to do because she's not a main track only here. So I assume they're only going to run here if it goes on the dirt, if it stays on the turf, even though it's a main track only, they'll probably stay in the Oaks. But uh, her last race was good. I don't know what she beat necessarily, but she was clearly best in that race, put up a decent speed figure uh, that would be competitive here. So I would be on the two um, and the nine if it came off the turf. Uh, I I don't, because I'm on chalk on the turf, uh, I would not bet this race vertically and, Unless the two or the nine were good prizes on the dirt, which they might be because I'm trying to beat Orbs Baby Girl. Uh, I, I might not bet this race, but on the dirt, I'm more likely to bet it. I'd probably bet a two nine exact box if the morning line's, you know, somewhat similar on the dirt. Uh, but I don't know if that would be. Mike, you have any, uh, any final thoughts or anything you want to add? No, no, I think you summarized it very well. All right. I'll just go ahead and jump in for a second. Sure. Uh, I really like out of sorts. Uh, it, even if it's, but you you pretty much said everything I was going to say, Eric. You know, has been ran against some of the top three year olds in Maryland. Goes to the turf, but the reason why I like those two turf races is, um, she was she was facing older. It wasn't it wasn't restricted to three year olds, and you know my feelings about three year olds versus versus older and all that. And she she rose to the occasion. Uh, because she rose to the occasion, and it's funny the way she she uh ran so far off the pace, making a big charge in those turf races. Uh, they might scratch her, you know, if it comes off the turf, unless unless there's you know far and few between three year old uh or up uh turf races that uh, have a seventy five thousand dollar purse. So that's a long winded way of saying uh, I like out of sorts. All right, so we're similar page there. Race six is the Alipocus. I hope I'm not familiar with Alipocus. The Alipocus run, I should say, which is six furlongs on the dirt, so we don't have to worry about it coming off. Uh, Mike, how do you see uh, race six going? Uh, look, bit of Delaware history. Alipocus is just an area in Delaware, a very rich oh, area here, actually. Okay. Um, <laughs> so that, that's where the name comes from. Thank you. Um, I thought it was a very competitive race. I'm actually... Four wide in here, depending on track conditions, that's going to swap one horse out for the other. Um, I like always sunshine, wet or dry. Horse loves the loves the Delaware Park and very uh, tactile horse. Um, Golden Candy, if the track is fast. If not, I'll throw three of reduces in there. Um, um, Baracho, although no Delaware Park track experience, I like the class and the figures. And I say for last, where she told me to go. I've always liked this horse. Um, had an excuse last time. I, I don't know if you're familiar. This was broke its maiden at Delaware Park on the day the Justify ran the Belmont. And this may speak to the buyer's inconsistency if, if you don't believe in buyers. But where she told me to go had a higher buyer 
on that day than Justify did in the Belmont and one for fun at extremely fast time for Delaware. And that's one of the few times where I've been to Delaware and just seen a, what appears to be a mid-level horse and said, wow. It came back at Parks the next time in stakes at 10 to 1. I bet it real heavy. It tried to bite its opponent coming down the stretch and lost my <laughs> head. Uh, and uh, But this horse has a lot of ability. And I'm excused in the last time. The heels are clipped. I think it'll run much better. It loves Delaware. Um, and I think it has a, a really big chance. So um, other than swapping over three overduces for Golden Candy, depending on track condition. So it'll be one or the other. Always sunshine, Baracho, where she told me to go. And that obviously has to be part of some horizontal bet because there's no sense paying four or five or six active boxes. Exactly. Yeah. I hope people don't do that because many people do actually. Oh. Yeah, that's, just, that, that's silly. That comes from the philosophy. Again, I can see first timers, they want to cash tickets and maybe you start somebody with some show bets on their very first day of the track. But thereafter, you should try to educate people. It's not about cashing a lot of tickets, it's about trying to cash value tickets. And five horse exactas make no sense. You'll cash tickets, but you're going to spend a minimum of 20 if the, you know, even if you have a, a dollar bet and you're, you're not going to get your return on your dollar. You're just going to go up and down the windows more often than other people and you're going to lose. So just a silly bet. Absolutely. And, you know, maybe like in the Derby where you have 20 horses and yes. betting prices, I, I've done that before and gotten lucky, I guess, but I can see that. But, uh, and even then it might not be the smartest thing, but that that's like one of the few times that might be worth it at all. But like most people, and you mentioned it, you know, that's how I was brought into the game. Maybe not a five horse box, but like a three horse exact a box, four horse even, uh, you know, exact a box. And like you said, you might catch more tickets that way, but you're not going to make money most likely that way. So probably not the smartest thing. I, I think in race six, uh, the favorites, and you mentioned most of them, if not all of them are, are legit. Like I couldn't even separate them. The three always sunshine. His last race was much better than it looks. He was three wide dueling uh, a two to one shot, another two to one shot who was dueling with them faded real bad. So being up on the lead was was really working hard to stay on the lead, and that was in a stakes race as well. Uh, the the four golden candy, another horse that um, I didn't love her last race specifically. Um, trying to read, she had basically a perfect trip behind the three speeds, so I, I would downgrade that last race. But she's third off a layoff now, and you mentioned I think you mentioned about her. I'm not sure, but she likes to, if you didn't, she likes Delaware as well. So uh, I, I think. Uh, or he, I'm sorry, I made her a girl. He'll be tough. And then the 10 who you mentioned, and you said all about him, so I don't really have to talk about him, but uh, where she told me to go is is a very legitimate horse too. And if you can make excuses for his last race or two, um, you know, he definitely raised a chance, uh, had heels clipped. I didn't really see much on the heel clip. Like if you guys want, watch the replay on the 10 where she told me to go. I didn't see much. There was like a slight bump it looked like in the top of the stretch. But then, and the horse kept running and then all of a sudden it just stopped. So maybe something happened, but liking Delaware, a little time off. You got the Russells, great connection there. So uh, I can see that horse. So I'm not going to be much of a help this race. The only long shot I would uh, I would add is Tappan Cat, the five. I just think this horse has run better in his last two than it looks. Um, trying to read Battle of the Favorites. Um, Battle of the Favorites plus 13-1 came from back in four horse race. Oh, so last race. Sorry, I should have read my notes before uh, I started talking, but Last race at Delaware, June 14th, uh, it was only a four-horse field that Tapman Cat was in. But basically, three of the horses were battling up front, him being one of them. And the long shot in the, the field, the 13-to-1 shot in the four-horse field, sat back and just let them all duke it out and swept by and won easily. And Tapman Cat actually was the best of the speed there. He 
finish out finish the other two. So uh, I, I think that horse has a shot at a price. Might be too much to ask for here against some of these, but I, I would definitely uh, in my pick five include the five tapping cat. Uh, Mike, did you want to add anything else before I move on? I will say about the last uh, race for tapping cat, although to your point, it was only four horses. That was basically uh, the quality of a uh, cheaper overnight stake. So that optional claimer 65 K is a little deceptive. They were four very nice horses in that race. Um, and so that, that race played a little tougher than it looks. And so I could see why you would like that. Well, that makes me feel even more confident. And if I was betting this race vertically, I would use the five as my key horse here. Uh, I do like the favorites, but I would make sure that the five came in first or second on all my bets. So, um, you know, if I bet triples, I would put the five over and probably use three or four other horses here, uh, put them in second as well. I wish there was like a second horse I liked the most out of the three, four, ten. Uh, I don't really. Uh, and I thought about using the nine spite for maybe I will in, in uh, vertical bets here. Uh, eight to one morning line. I handicapped before the morning line. I thought Spiceford would be like four, uh, 15 to one or at least 12 to one, the nine. And maybe that's where he'll go off. Maybe the morning line is off. When I saw eight to one, I'm like, I don't know if I want that short on the horse. Horse ran a pretty good race, uh, was in a big duel last time, but it was at Charlestown against Weaker. So I, I don't know if it can match the quality of this field, but I might throw in the nine. But I would definitely key the five first and second in all my vertical bets here. Uh, tapping cat and hope I get lucky. Uh, anyone want to say anything else? GQ or Mike? No, nah, just other than uh, Mike pointed out, he, he likes gold, golden candy if the track is relatively fast. But I mean, three times third and three off track and the best uh, Brisnet number isn't that much lower than best career. So uh, I think uh, golden candy can handle uh, slop just as well as uh, a fast track. Plus, a anytime you have a horse that has five wins at nine starts at Delaware, never been worse than third at Delaware. Um, not bad for a seven to two shot. Yeah, the only thing I would add about that, and not to knock what you said at all, but there's a lot of horses here like Delaware. So he's got a lot of company, but uh, it's a good point you made. The horse uh, has the most wins on the track, which must speak to something. All right, so we'll go to race seven, uh, the Kent, a grade three stakes, which we hope stays on the turf, but we think might not. It's a mile and an eighth. And I'll tell you what, why don't we do quickly the turf first, and then we'll talk about if it comes on the dirt. Uh, Mike, did you want to go first uh, if the race stays on the turf? Yeah, if it stays on the turf, I like the number two, yes, this time, and the number six, even, I assume that's the pronunciation. I would downgrade the seven if the race stays on the turf because – uh, I read the blood horse and uh, Graham Motion said, look, this horse, we brought him over so he could run on firm surfaces. Oh. Um, doesn't literally like soft surfaces. So if it does stay on the turf, it's going to be soft. Um, so although that will probably get bet pretty hard, I'll disregard that if the turf is soft and concentrate on the two and the six. All right. That scares me because if it stays on the turf, the seven was uh, one of the two words I was going to use. Uh-oh. <laughs> so... Uh, I, I liked his race. Actually, two back on the uh, yielding turf. I thought he ran a decent race, but um, you're giving me thoughts to cause and something there for the listeners to think about. Uh, if it stays on the turf, the horse I like the most, uh, other than the seven, will be the two, which is a little chalky here. Uh, yes, this time, seven to two. Just thought last race was pretty good. Got squeezed at the start. It doesn't say that in the um, in the PPs. And I would say lost about two lengths. And anytime you have trouble that's not in the PPs, a lot of people won't see it and therefore they will, uh, you know, it'll offer you value or get you value. It doesn't mean the horse is going to win or anything, but at least you're getting value. 
uh, let's say five wide second turn, probably only three to four wide. I don't know about five wide, maybe in the stretch, but uh, still had a little bit of a wide chip squeeze at the start. It was a stakes race. Uh, horse won, won four in a row. So I don't know if you're going to get much of a price. 72 morning line is probably the maximum you'll get and maybe a little shorter, but that's who I'm going to uh, lean on the two. And I was the seven. Now I got to rethink that. The only other horse I would use on the turf maybe is the four for a price. And that is B here. The horse uh, needs to improve. Uh, he mostly saved ground last time, but the race kind of didn't fall apart at all. Speed kind of held. So for him to close was pretty good. He definitely has to run faster, but he's lightly raced. Jonathan Thomas is as good as anyone at improving, uh, especially turf horses. Uh, when I look at Jonathan Thomas, I basically think of like a, a, a young Chad Brown personally. Maybe I'm overstating how good he is or successful, but uh, so I, I think the four has a big chance. So especially what you said about the seven, um, I, I would probably go two, four, seven uh, as well. And, and I have a question about just real quick. If it does stay on the turf, the, the five horse, eight to five morning line, are, you didn't mention him, obviously. Uh, are you particularly against him or are you just add ah, not worth the, the price or what's your thoughts on, on the favorite here? A little bit. I, th- I actually think that horse will be better served if the race comes off the turf. Yeah, maybe. So I did not like him on the turf and I thought that, when I saw that line, I kind of shook my head a little bit and it won't be the first time I'm wrong, but if the race is on the turf, I don't like him at all, particularly at low odds. Um, and I think the race will come off the turf and then I think he's a threat. All right. So let's now talk then about the race coming off the turf. So if it's on the dirt, how do you see it, Mike? If it's on the dirt, I like, like the King. Uh, but if I'm assuming if it's on the dirt, uh, it will also be, likely that the track might be sloppy and then Gershwin would be my pick. So on the turf, um, two yes this time and six Eamon on the dirt, um, Gershwin and like the King. All right. And then for me on the dirt, I had trouble separating a lot of these horses, including the ones that you said, but I'm actually going to stick with the four on the dirt as well. Uh, and that would be my top pick on the dirt. And I think I can get a little price. His one dirt race was um, April 16th at Keeneland. And it was only a first level allowance race, but I thought he ran really, really well. Uh, he dueled a two to one shot who faded to the back. So he did all the dirty work, put away, I don't know if it was a favorite or second choice in the race, who, who faded even worse than him. Uh, so I, I upgraded that race a lot. It was kind of an insane pace. Uh, I think the horse has improved since then. Being by Ghost Zapper, I'm not big on uh, breathing, really. That's not my, my thing. I don't know, Mike, if you want to talk about it after, uh, feel free. Uh, but I do know as a very much a layman with breeding, Joe Zapper and then a Monarcos mare, I got to assume Monarcos being a derby winner can run uh, long distance. So I got to assume with that breeding that the distance will only help. He improved a lot stretching out last time on the turf. So I, I just think this horse could, uh, could improve. And I think that dirt race is a lot better than it looks. So if it goes on the dirt, I'm going to, I don't know if I would single the four in my pick five and pick four. There's a possibility I wouldn't. I think I get a decent price, at least eight to one, assuming there's not a ton of scratches. Uh, I don't know who else I throw in because I probably just try and avoid a couple of the chalks, even though I know they can win. Uh, I don't really have too much of an opinion after that. So uh, I'm all over the four here on the dirt. Uh, Mike, do you, do you look at, um, I, I guess horses have run a lot before, but when you're talking about like new surfaces or new distances or first time stars, are, are you big into the breeding? Do you follow that aspect of the game? I certainly respect it as a handicapping angle. I, I, I'm not as adept at that as I am in handicapping races in which there's performances. And so it's certainly not my strong point, but you know, it obviously has a lot of validity. And we were talking about Rich Glazier before we started the show today. And if you remember, 
Richard was a longtime paddock analyst at Delaware. He swore by, look, there are certain sire lines on the turf and they show a lifetime profit. And that was how he bet. Um, so it has validity. Um, it's it's not my particular strong point, I will say. All right. Uh, GQ, did you want, or, or Mike, did you want to add anything else about race seven before we go on to the Oaks? I'm good. No, right. I, I think uh, it, I think it's ironic that it might actually be the fourth time that Gershwin has tried to race on the turf, and it'll probably be taken off. So the fact that uh, he won two of those three previous off the turf and lost by a neck, uh, it, it might be music to his ears. Oh, geez, it comes off the turf. <laughs> Drum roll. That's his one joke of the week. Very good, though. Very good, GQ. <laughs> don't you have to be? Don't you have to be over fifty to get that joke? <laughs> I don't know, man. I think I think uh, Gershwin even goes back before that that time. So it anyway. does. Go, go ask the average twenty-five year old who George Gershwin. Yeah, is. right. <laughs> we'll see. Exactly. I'll, I'll bet you. I'll bet you on that. No. <laughs> hey, GQ. I got a question. Beethoven's favorite fruit. What is it? An apple. Banana, -na banana. -na -na. It might be Mozart, though. I don't know. But uh, I think that's Beethoven. <laughs> anyway, that's my joke for my seventh grade music teacher. I still remember. Just lost our later. final two listeners. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That actually wraps up the uh, the pick five. Maybe at the end, we'll just quickly discuss uh, a ticket. I know Mike said he's not going to play it, probably, or you know, he's not a big pick five guy now. Uh, but I'm almost definitely playing it. It really depends on. on you know, how it comes off the turf and who's scratching all, but I, I have a few words I really like there that I want to bet. So it's a bet that I would definitely make. Uh, and then we'll go to race eight because even though it's not part of the pick five, it's part of the late pick four and it is the big race of the day. It's the Delaware Oaks, a grade three on the dirt and a mile and a 16th. And there probably will be a, a pretty big favor here. And that's the seven crazy beautiful listed at six to five on the morning line. I guess that's pretty accurate. It might be a little shorter even, but uh, I would say anywhere between four to five and six to five on the seven crazy beautiful. So I guess if you're playing this race, you want to think about the favorite and decide, are you on crazy beautiful or are you off the crazy beautiful train? So Mike, as the guest, are you with crazy beautiful or are you against crazy beautiful? Yeah, I'm going to be off the crazy beautiful train. Uh -huh. which, you know, at the end of the day, you know, it look, first of all, this is a very weak grade three. I'll start with that. And Crazy Beautiful is going to be a deserving, overwhelming favorite. McPeak said, look, this is just a stop on the way to Saratoga. And I think he knows correctly that if the horse repeats its recent buyer figure, that's probably going to be good enough to win this race. But I have a couple of concerns. First of all, if you take a look at her figures since last fall, she really hasn't improved on them. She's running in the 80s buyers pretty consistently. And I don't think she has much more of an upside. And even if they win here, they're going to go to either the Alabama or the coaching club Oaks and bet against her. If she wins here and goes to those bet against her. Um, hmm. uh, I just don't think she has much more upside. That being said, she's going to be tough to beat, but I'm going to try to beat her and I'll go with leader of the band midnight obsession and Orbs baby girl who probably won't be in this race. So I'm really down to do leader of the band hmm. and midnight obsession. I think those horses at least have some ability to improve. And if they do and up their buyer by five, six, seven points, they're going to be competitive with Crazy Beautiful's best. And I think Crazy Beautiful's best is in the 80s. I don't think you're going to see this horse go on to do big things. Um, I think four to five is about what she will go off. And I'm just going to try to take a stand against her to close out probably a pick three or a double. Uh, so that's my take. 
Yeah, and I tend to agree with you a lot of, uh, about what you said. She definitely can win this race. There's, there's a very good chance, but I, I don't want around even money four to five and possibly shorter even. Uh, the more you talk, the more I was like, yeah, maybe she'll be uh, three to five even. Uh, so I would try and beat her too. I just don't think it's worth uh, taking her at a short price for the reasons you said. And I remember uh, going into the Gulfstream Park Oaks where uh, she was second off a layoff. She was training like the workout reports were glowing about her. Uh, and I like Milfoy that day, who I think that was a race Milfoy had some trouble in, but I could be wrong. Maybe Milfoy didn't run that well. Uh, but she was like fine for that race, it seemed, with the workouts. And she just hasn't gotten better, as you said, since the Gulfstream Park Oaks. She run uh, similar buyers. I mean, the Kentucky Oaks, you can almost disregard because she was against some monsters there. And um, I don't want to say she's over her head. She's considered a good horse, but those are really, really strong horses in the Oaks. It was a strong Oaks field. Uh, and, and the summer oaks, I guess everything's got oaks in it. Um, at Santa Anita, yeah, she won pretty easily, but she saved ground and she didn't really get a better figure, like you said. So with that, I'll, I'm going to try and beat her too. And it's funny, I'm trying to beat her with two horses that you're not using. So we're, we're both having the same strategy, but different horses. Uh, the two horses that I would try and beat her with are the four, juror number four. Maybe that's a sign that he, she got number four. Uh, and the other one is going to be a price, I hope. Because 12 to 1 is even a little short on her. And that's she a hot mess. So juror number four, the four horse, uh, came off a layoff April 23rd, ran the state bred, Maryland bred uh, allowance race, came in second, uh, probably needed that race, got a little stre- uh, stuck in the stretch. She was one to two. She wasn't running against anything. Got a little stuck in the stretch and was flying when she got loose uh, and finally kind of extricated from the trouble. Just spotted the, the winner way too much ground there and couldn't make it up. So um, that, that was just kind of a comeback race. And then her last race, the Miss Preakness at grade three, that's a painful race for me. Uh, that was on um, Black Eyed Susan Day. That was the horse Euphoric, who I liked at six to one, who I singled in every bet. I had rolling, I think, $5 pick threes. I had a $10 double. And I want to say I had either a dollar or um, I forgot what it was. Pick five. I might have had a pick four too, ending an army wife who I love to one. And euphoric lost by a nose. And I calculated it probably cost me about 17 grand that nose that day. So I am very, very uh, touchy when I had to watch that replay. It, it hurt a lot. But having said that, uh, that was a tough race. I thought that she was coming out of. Uh, I think the stretch out will do her well. Again, I'm not really a breeding person, but I know Into Mischiefs have do, been doing well, basically in the Derby Trail going long. And Malibu Moon should be capable of uh, running long on the dam side. So in her running style, sometimes their closer is going short. doesn't pan out, but I just see her running better. She goes longer, third off a layoff. She should improve. So like, like you mentioned, how crazy beautiful might not be improving. I think journey number four is, and she would be by far my top pick in this race. Uh, if I can get six to one on her and then she a hot mess, who knows? Uh, she has to run a lot faster. She only got a 67 buyer last, uh, last race, which is not going to cut it here, but, um, her race was much better then it uh, looked, she stumbled at the start. She lost a couple of lengths uh, and then she had to check very hard on the first turn. So it does say that in the, um, on the PPs, but it, it was pretty significant, both of those. So I, I thought she ran a lot better than it looked. She probably would have got like a 75, 76 buyer, in my opinion, if she had a clean trip. And why can't she improve upon that? I, Mike, I'll ask you, cause I don't know this trainer at all. Brett Brinkman, are you familiar with Brett Brinkman? No, I am not. Okay, I was hoping you were. <laughs> um, he had a lot of starters, so someone knows him. I guess he's from, looks like he's from uh, Delta Downs there. I guess a, 
Louisiana. Yeah, judge, guy, yeah, judge by this horse's lines, I assume he's from Delta or Fairgrounds, and but and to your point, has plenty of starters, and uh, so it's not a fly-by-night person, but not not familiar with the word. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, he's capable apparently based on his record. So, uh, but yeah, I would I would be on the four as my top pick, or number four, and Shia Hot Mass would be my my uh, second pick, if you will. And if I bet pick fours, uh, the late pick four, because this is I think the last leg of the late pick four. I could be wrong. Uh, it is. Pretty, oh, it is. Thank you. Uh, I, I would use both of those, the four and eight, but I press the way I bet. I don't spread a lot, especially in pick fours. Uh, I, I would use four and eight, and then I just press a lot more with the four. So maybe I'll have 50 cents or a dollar with the four and eight or with the eight, but I'll have, because I'm not going to go very deep at all. I can bet easily a five or $10 pick four and it only cost me maybe 40 bucks. Uh, so uh, I might do that with the four uh, being in there. Uh, GQ, Mike, any final thoughts? Yeah, I will say this. The ones I picked, I think, also could be improved and helped by the fact that there might be moisture in the, the track. That was one of my concerns about juror number four. If I went from two or three choices to three or four choices, that would have been the next one I threw in. I'm not sure off track is going to suit suit her, but uh, but she's got potential. It's funny because you say that, and I look now, and, and definitely her two worst races were on sloppy sealed tracks, and that worries me. And we talked about breathing, or I mentioned breathing before. She's out of a Malibu Moon mare, and Malibu Moon is one of the best mud sires around, if not the best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm not big on the Tomlinson numbers, if you guys know that from the DRF. I don't know if they're in other publications too, but she has a very big Tomlinson number. Like she should handle it. Basically, she's bred very well for the wet. Yet, like you said, her two worst races by far are on the wet track. So I, I don't know. I'm just hoping that the one of them was against Street Loot. It was just a tough race early in her career. Uh, and the, the other one was her first start ever. Um, and the other fear I have that you say that now that I'm looking is not only we're on the slop, they were both at Delaware. So she hasn't run too well at Delaware either. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're causing me to lower that $5 pick four just went down to a dollar pick four. <laughs> I always say, I don't like, I don't want to talk people off their pets. No. First of all, everybody has their own strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. And you know, uh, so I just threw that out. Those were concerns I had, but uh, you know, you, you should stay with your conviction. Yeah, no, I will, but that definitely scares me. It might lower my bet slightly, but um, those, <laughs> it's funny. I should have picked up on those two things. It wasn't a great handicapping job by me, but um, yeah, I still, like I said, first time starter, I can ignore that race. The other one was against Street Loot coming off a mating claiming win, so I can I can kind of forgive her for that. So, and hopefully I'll get six to one or more. I'm just worried with Sheldon and Brittany Russell. They take so much money that I might not, but I think I should get, uh, get at least six to one. GQ, any, uh, any thoughts? Mike, uh, Eric just uh, hit the nail on the head his last comment about juror number four, why he likes this horse so much. I think he got lucky last weekend with a couple Brittany Russell horses uh, <laughs> on top in a pick, late pick four, pick five. So he, he he's gravitated to Brittany Russell horses, I believe. You know, she's upped her game. I mean, from where the stock she had a couple years ago to the last year, there's definitely been an upgrade and so far so good. Yeah, definitely. I definitely can't uh, falter it. And the, the funny thing is, is she kind of tips her hand. Uh, one of the probably more honest trainers out there that locally, you know, she her stables at Laurel or wherever right now uh, in Maryland. But uh, whenever she has a horse that it's like they, they just can't compete, you know, at a higher level. It's like all the other trainers just jump on the horse because they know that she just has no use for a horse that's going to, you know, wallow around in the claiming ranks. She wants to be a, a stakes and allowance type horse trainer. So 
she basically gives horses away on the cheap uh just to to get them out of her barn so yeah i find her interviews to be very forthcoming and going back to where she told me to go who got beat as the favorite last time there was an interview being played at the track that day and she certainly didn't seem like she was saying all systems go and i bet against it that day i did have lucky it was a fine horse so it's not like i had a long shot but I bet against where she told me to go. Just basically, I could just tell by the words she was saying and her attitude that that wasn't going to be the horse's day. She's very forthcoming. Yes, she is. That definitely. She's not. She's not one of those uh, trainers that you get the same exact answer out of all of them. It's like, oh, I wouldn't trade places with anybody. Oh yeah, right. You know, one of the all. You know, they they have a book of phrases that they use to uh, describe their horse. Right. All right. So, so that kind of. What's that? I'm glad, I'm glad you guys carried the load for me, as usual. Oh, no, thank you for uh, prepping. You know, I spent three hours handicapping. You spent three hours coming up with a Gershwin joke. But, you know, it's <laughs> all good. Equal, They bring equal, uh, you know, listeners to the show. So great humor. Uh, anyway, that kind of concludes uh, our handicapping portion here in our show. Uh, just going back to the pick five real quick. I'm not going to go through the whole thing. Uh, you know, I mentioned each race. We have long shows, but uh, race four is really where I'm king on Kuchina, and that's going to be my single in any pick five, uh, race four there. And then depending on off the turf or not, if it's on the dirt in race seven, I'm going to key on that Jonathan Thomas four horse. If it's on the turf, I'm going to use a few of that race. Uh, but if it comes off the turf, race four, the seven, and race seven, the four, those are going to be my two keys, and uh, I'll go from there. Uh, Mike, did you have any final uh, thoughts before we let you go? No, I wanted to thank you guys for having me on. I enjoyed it and um, hopefully it added some value. But I, cer I certainly learned a lot from listening to you, too. Well, same here. Definitely learned from you, especially about Delaware. And I, I definitely plan on coming down uh, sometime next month. So I'm going to reach out if that's good and uh, maybe we can meet up at the track. Yeah, do so. I'm there most days. Uh, contact me, DM me versus Twitter, and we'll get together. Sounds good. Definitely will. Jinky, you want to finish the show? Yep. Th thanks again, Mike. It it's always a pleasure ha having uh, people who've been around the racetrack one once uh, or twice in their lifetime to share their opinions and uh, to give uh, e both old and new horse players maybe a different perspective. So I thank you for that. And especially it was good timing to have you on. We always try to time our guests with uh, the track that we're uh, checking out. So again, thanks a lot for, uh, for joining us and I'll be looking forward to seeing you at Delaware park. If not, Pimlico. Thank you again. I, I enjoyed it. You're welcome. All right. Just make sure you bring your own food to Pimlico on that note. Have a <laughs> great, great week. Good luck this weekend. Watching mystic guide. Good luck in Delaware. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.